had a, <clears throat> a lifelong friend uh, who died recently. at home. Uh, the title of this poem is The Owl. The door hinge squeaks. It's a child's complaint. The door hinge creaks. It's old people talking. We're here around your bed. We listen for your breath. Does it come? Does it go? You squeeze somehow a smile. Your teeth get bigger. The dope tames your face until you stir and ask who, who's that there? We're not aware how we imitate your breath. It's tempo, the heldness, as if we all could stay and stay and make with you a music of small breaths as if our consort could keep you with us this instant then one more and the next when next has no meaning but now there comes again from the trees outside a cry. Uh, I'm uh, I'm the kind of poet who uh, one of the one of the writers who has had a lot of a lot to do with the kind of poetry I've written is uh, William James, uh, Henry James's brother. William was a psychologist and philosopher and a better writer than his brother. Um, uh, and uh, William James's writing was very, extremely robust, um, and uh, and physicalized. And yet, he's somebody who wrote the varieties of religious experience. So it's like he lived with all of this robust feeling for life, and he was constantly rubbing his nose against whatever membrane se separates us from whatever is other, from physical reality. Um, so there's that, and, uh, and there's this. Uh, uh, a couple of critics writing about my work have said similar things. Uh, one is that uh, it's, only, it's only description, and I'm, I'll, I'll return to that. Um, and another uh, really took me to task for not making general statements about the human condition. I never intended to make general statements about the human condition, you know? Um, so I didn't write this poem entirely out of agita because of what this, this critic said. Um, but it is a kind of mini Ars Poetica for me. And the title of this is, I live in San Francisco. Um, these early fall days, 
I don't want wisdom. Don't want the one and every summed in potentate words that parade on yellow leaves from gums and ginkgos that shake their trashy skirts to shiver color to this floor of things. I don't want we. No choice oinker phrases. I want the silver safety pin so bright in that girl's lip and seasonal silver to foil the air like silver leaf oaks in their flush finalities. No ratiocination. Butterscotch, lanolin, yes. Agrodolce airs, plasma, ores, recycling bin realities, troubled angels in posses on Market Street. No conclusions from red leaves on grass and sidewalk from leaf bits on my fingers and near noise that stitches falls debris falling down the towers of air. I have a book coming out in uh, February and uh, the title of the book is The Complaints. Uh, and The Complaints is uh, a, long t a long poem that's in the book and it's sectional. Uh, and, and I'll read a couple of smaller sections of this. And uh, the, poem the poem came to me because I was thinking about different ways that we talk about luck. And I was remembering something that we used to say in South Philadelphia about somebody who was lucky. And um, uh, so I wrote this longish poem uh, about a character named Alfonso. So this is, a, this is, the, this is the opening. Uh, called uh, the title is The Complaints. This is The Young Alfonso. We said he rolled in horse shit. His luck never failed. He smelled pristine, like rose sachets his mother bought to freshen drawers. He rolled and rolled, never broken ulna when we skated. Polio passed him by. No pink eye, his fingers and toes grew straight. We treated him so tenderly. Lend out his preservative blessing, he could not do. But we kept him close. His friend Horseshit was everywhere. Its gold flakes scaled off steaming piles that stunk to God in heaven before they dried. Fruitmonger, cop, Javello Waterman, their horses dropped vegetal coals, the sun's confetti. He had no power to heal, to stop the blue storms that blew ticks down our street, but brought no luck to anybody else. He had perfect skin, like any aloof, self-centered saint. He lacked good sense, and like a girl, talked fast, squealy, and too much. He moved away. We knew not when, but knew he took with him his awful gift. Our fortunes got blasted anyways by crass circumstance. 
the gods as ever ungood and unambiguous toward us. And once I was in a situation when I, it seemed to me that my shadow left me. I mean, I saw it move like that. Um, so this, what happens in this long poem is that then the poems become more and more spoken by Alfonso and take him into adult life. The title of this one is, His Shadow Gets Away From Him. I watch my shadow flee to find its way alone. It jumped the moon in a puddle by a curb and leaped its greasy shadow leaping there. It climbed a house and curtained it down upon a family of flesh stalks gathered by an almond tree. Talking politics, it eavesdropped on the uselessness. I let it gleefully go as if it were a thing of the past, its fortunes shot, or a prayer, or hymn, or curse I left in church, or at the farmer's market, where plums and pomegranates shine. Go, my shadow, and unbenison them. I'm glad to live without you. Fasten not your drear promise to me again. Uh, for as long as I've been writing poems, I've been writing prose of some kind. Uh, critical prose, art criticism, personal essays, book reviews, movie reviews, the whole thing, uh, and keeping notebooks. And this is something that I fished out of, out of my notebook. I made a book of excerpts from my notebooks. Uh, and this is one of the excerpts. And this, too, is a way of, you know, you do the kind of work that I do. You, you talk to yourself. And, uh, and, uh, and the place where that happens for me is my notebooks. And, um, and so I was thinking how it is that, uh, that I love writing uh, scenes. Um, and it's more important for me to uh, to to create uh, accurate, answerable to reality uh, scenes, um, and that's more important than making important statements about things. And so, one of the things in my notebooks says this: me talking to myself, why the scenic in poetry matters because it tells the world like telling a story by saying how it looks, tastes, moves, smells. Tell the world well, even if it's an unhappy telling, and you reveal the invisible life of things, which is the great aspiration. Uh, this is... Uh, I used to joke out of this ongoing conversation with a poet friend of mine, and uh, one of the jokes between us is, what do you say when someone, someone asks what you do, what kind of poetry you write, what kind of a poet are you? Someone who's not really conversant, you know, and doesn't read a lot. And, uh, 
And my answer is that I'm a love poet. And first of all, it's true. And second of all, it's, it's very much what a lot of non-poetry readers expect poetry to deliver. And not necessarily happy, sweet, uh, stories about love. This is a poem dedicated to the goddess, to Aphrodite. And uh, the Greeks, and much, much later as a poem, associated with Aphrodite, smoke. Smoke, incense. To Aphrodite, lady know-it-all, bittersweet, apple incense, incensing my room. Cigarette smoke and the ceiling fan. My Cupid doll, assassin sister to that virus, Aries, who can't be trusted, and like you, kills everything in sight. Oh, old friend, hologram skin, wrinkles and all, adrift from some disturbed place with trouble in mind, be with me now, big of promise, and give me what you got. And this is a love poem, not a very happy one. Um, there's, a, there's a plant that grows in the, on the west coast called the coffee berry, coffee berry bush, coffee berry trees, if it grows that way. Uh, and the title of this, and this, this was written at the end of a really troubled relationship. Uh, the title is, What's Left? How often now, raging, weeping, for the days love gives, then takes away. Takes from you the slightly chapped hand laid on the one you're pointing at a tree. And the voice that breathes coffeeberry bush into your mouth. The finger that taps and feathers your ear, but the giggle's gone before you turn around. The sandalwood scent hanging in the room, the auburn strand like a flaw in the porcelain, the nail clippings sting in the carpet. The days eat into your stomach, bite you with longing for relief from love that you cannot leave or leave alone. From its trashy fires where you won't burn down to ash or be transformed. You become them and they keep burning and they have a coffee berry voice. Uh, Jody mentioned South Philadelphia, and uh, which is where I spent the first 21 years of my life. And uh, uh, there's not an awful lot of bird watching to be done in South Philadelphia, if you have that kind of interest. Um, uh, grackles, starlings, the occasional jaybird, pigeons, rats. Anyway, uh, this is about starlings. And I love the sound of starlings in the morning when I woke up in South Philadelphia. Um, and there was, a, there was a bakery right down the street from us. It was an old, very old style neighborhood, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, 
star, the title is Starlings, Snarls, Bread Trucks, Yeast Breathing Inside Huddled Bags, and Sleepers Completing Lives Behind Their Gray Windows. A whistle on the phone wires, feathers, twitches, whistling down to the hot lobes, reeds everywhere, pulse, flesh, flutes, and wakened sighs. An answer, radio news, and breathers behind our windows, birds, new voices, changing, changed to the unforgiving hunger screech of immigrants. There's um, where I live, uh, I can hear the streetcar in my neighborhood coming out of its tunnel. And, um, and what else? And in, uh, in Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro, uh, the one character who hasn't been compromised by uh, cynicism or sardonicism about love is a character named Cherubino. And uh, it's a male part always sung by a woman. And, uh, and Cherubino figures uh, in this one. Uh, the title is It's That Time. The quiet of night hours isn't really quiet. You hear the air hiss even when it doesn't move. It's a memory of day. No traffic hushing up and down tricky hills among the camphor trees. No foghorns, no phantoms shrilling before streetcars rumble from tunnels. The absences keep us alert. No rain or street voices. Nobody calling, Hannah, you walked the dog tonight yet or what? But there are certain things. The sexy shifting of trees. The refrigerator buzzing while Cherubino sings, the best of love is enthusiasm's intense abandon, a voice in song that preys on no one and is unconscious of its joy. And I've thought a lot about and written a lot out of uh, out of memory, the mechanics of memory, the dynamics of memory. Uh, and uh, this has to do with that. Uh, the way memory and imagination can hardly be separated. And uh, in Venice, uh, a piazza is called a campo. And one of the most beautiful sights in Venice for me has always been uh, the boatyards, the gondola boatyards. Gondolas require an incredible amount of, of upkeep. Uh, they have to be scraped down and repitched every four to six weeks or something. I mean, they require a very high maintenance. But when they're turned over and the sun, if the sun is shining in Venice, hits those black holes, it's something. Um, this has to do with a, with a song and a voice. The title is Some Voice. Past the silky gondola hulls, arcaded in the boatyard. We walked that afternoon 
to our favorite grubby compo. Empty, except for cats and one plane tree with bench. We loved it so much. We walked just to be there, imagining sometime we'd spend the night. The little hotel, its frank lantern, its dim sign, dimmer by day, we'd remember just like that. The tree's patchy shades worked down your arm as it pointed up. Over there, locating the voice, its open window, the soprano scales tipped down to us. All life is hidden life. Don't believe everything you hear. To us, we're not to us. Her voice fell into that year, then 10 more. Routine practice doesn't call to anyone. It simply falls through footbridges, black halls, and plane tree. When we went back, the singing wasn't there for us. We take what's given and work with that. The rest is grace. I'm not a topical poet. I don't chase topics. I don't really chase contemporary historical moments. Uh, I'm the kind of writer uh, for whom it takes a long time for experience to settle in me before I can write about something. Uh, and, um, and especially when it treats historical events, uh, historical outrages, that kind of thing. Um, and so this poem, which has to do with a photograph I came upon by uh, Tim O'Sullivan. He was one of the great photographers of the, of the Civil War and then became a great photographer of the American West. Uh, uh, and this is a Civil War picture. The title is 1864. Like true believers elated by what they've seen, as if at the end of days, raptured away like millions more of undying credence. This Union soldier's ankles crossed, his ditchmate's demure arms folded like an Annunciation Angel's. Others flank to flank, mouths catching flies. How candid and unharmed they look, these teens in O'Sullivan's snapshot. Grimy mother-of-pearl faces, aspiring to another life or way or time, who see where we don't. Who among us can say, we, the quick, fattened, fed, sheltered, alive because we look and grieve. What they saw, what stiff promise their loyal brains made or erased.
And here's another, more or less topical. It's a poem that I wrote roughly around 1991, 92, 93, after the first Gulf War. Uh, and do you remember what that was like? That was such a televised war. Uh, but it wasn't televised like Vietnam was televised. Um, it, was a, it was a video game war, really, the first of them. And, uh, and I was married, and my wife had a meditation practice. And um, I was off living in California, I was off somewhere giving a reading or something, and we always communicated, we wrote letters uh, and all like that. And uh, there are, I, you, don't, you don't look for lilacs in, in California. Uh, uh, they have a plant that they call Ceanothus, and they call it California lilac, and it's not, it's an anti-lilac, because it has no fragrance. How can, you, how can you give a name like that to a plant that doesn't have a fragrance, right? Uh, so this is called um, the prayer mat, and there are a couple of lines and half lines that are spoken by her. And I'll just try to make that clear at the top or something. The prayer mat, two weeks back east. I read your letter during the news. Our F-15s stitching desert grid points. Underground fires out of control. The sky cored by purple smoke jets. Bring me and California lilacs or something lilac-y. My meditation's off. The kids that rented after us tore out those gorgeous lilacs. That made me sick. I miss you and want you around the house. Now, your candle's lilac-scented light burns early with a mockingbird's hysteria in the walnut tree. Smart bombs still hitting bunkers. Small war, small war. Liquid pulse mashed TV blue on impact. You meditate, not prayer. It's more like thinking. Before the flame an altar stash of bark, acorns, kernels, stones. State of creation. Your thought coursing in, I don't know what star gas torrent of all changes, wanting balance. More evening news. Presidents love their video wars. They love death. They make love with Christmas lights then sleep. You grind your teeth, ring, and chop the air. This morning I walked past your room, your little shrine's blue flower smell came again. I picture you trying to balance there, behind the door, where I can't see. And this is another. Um, this is a post-911 poem, uh, which started out as a response to, I guess it was a 4th of July celebration with, uh, in the far east part of town on the Embarcadero, they, they have this fantastic fireworks display, right? But I can't see it because my windows uh, face west, 
So what I get is a kind of after flash of everything that's going on where I can't see. Uh, the title of this, this is, a, this is a poem really about Venus. Uh, the title is Increased Security. Venus, demure tonight, as always, sharp in my western sky, which flops each time the 4th of July's sheet lightning fireworks blow from the eastern side of town. Hooping Embarcadero lights, Black Bay and Bridge, Starlight, Star Bright, Seer, solid and chaste in her infinitude, calmly waiting to watch the oceans buckle, cities burn, while Catherine wheels and maypole pom-poms mock her constancy. Far off sugared surprises, flaring orderly reds and purpled blues above the silent pod of black and whites and fireboats, fighter jets cruising, chopper beams fingering the crowd. I can't see here, don't need to see to know that while kids sing a jingling brass band march, be kind to your web-footed friends for a duck, maybe somebody's mother. The sky shrieks at Venus, mother of all, who watches from her distance, hears booms and alarmed whistles over the heads of mothers who squeeze their children's hands, fathers boosting sons and daughters up onto their shoulders, the better for them to catch the air for balance, still grabbing at the artificial fires we all look up to while we wait for more. This is a keyed down poem compared to the ones I've been reading. Uh, and the title of this, this is pretty, this is pretty laid out, this poem pretty easy laid out. The title is in the movies. It has to do with St. Johnsbury. Um, and where Ethan Frome, who is Liam Neeson, was filmed in St. Johnsbury. In the movies, the St. Johnsbury locals stood and watched, some for hours, the year Ethan Frome arrived with crew set dressers, best boys grips, and other mechanicals from the forest of Oregon. They left the iron horse rings, moved parking meters, raised new signage, spread the streets first with dirt, then snow in Blackfly July. Slays hissed along the soundtrack I heard in the film. Period extras swung burning lanterns at noon, the light of day that became a hanging dark. They came, the ones nobody called town elders, to re-enter the town of their time. Some wept, some glared at bored crews who owned the secret of life restored. Their old time there to view while they lived in their other time and its gasoline cars, 
and striped streets. By August, the town was there again for real, rubbed back into form like chalked colors, into new things baked hard and deep. Summer ended by Halloween it snowed. Uh, this is a this is a you know a middle of the night thing. Something wakes you up and it's in your head, and all you need to do is is copy down what's being said to you. Right? Um, the title is Nocturne. Where are you now, my poems, my sleepwalkers? No mumbles tonight. Where are you? Thirst, fever, humming tedium. The sodium street lamps burr outside my window, steadfast, unreachable, little astonishments lighting the way uphill. Where are you now when I need you most? It's late, I'm old, come soon you feral cats among the dahlias. Uh, I'll read just a few more. And, uh, but, but which ones? I don't know. This one. Uh, this too is going to be in the, the, the one that's coming out. And the title is At an Exhibition of Unfinished Works. Uh, I've written for a great many years about the visual arts. I mean, it's been just part of what I do. It's been an income stream and everything else. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time in front of looking at stuff that doesn't move. Uh, the title of this is At an Exhibition of Unfinished Works. The baby's see-through hand seeks out the Virgin Mary's cheesecloth breast that ripens bluely toward his mouth. A noble's chalky fingers crawl from his velvet cuffs. They point to a roughed-out rock-candy skull, as if to instruct us, this is ours, this country of the real, its constant coming into form and going. The girl on the trapeze yearns toward the catch sees all that unpainted space stretching to complete the sexual act. It doesn't end, the flight, the save. My hand rests on the bench, still warm from another's presence. My skin's cross-hatched, thin, webbed with age, and yet the air feels like fine fire, laid to leave a small story there that's waiting for its proper end. And uh, I will read two more. And uh, those will be, yeah, I haven't read any poems about music. I'll read two poems. Uh, one is about a person who was once in my life. I didn't know her personally, but she had uh, she had uh, 
carry powers, telekinesis, right? It should make things move. But it was a terif terrifying thing for it to happen to her. And, um, uh, and so this poem is about, about that. It started out as that, but it turned into something else. It turned into a poem It's basically about how a young poet takes in all kinds of information and, and learns from that experience that one of the most important things is to be prepared, that that is the work of a poet, is to always be prepared. The title is Moving Things. My aunts mentioned her just once, calling her my aunt, their sister, though she wasn't. They mentioned the vinyl recliner in the kitchen, the I Like Ike poster, the Sacred Heart, Cabbage Smells, Sulfur, and Shame. Before jolted by the gift that called through but never really for her, she became unpleasantly calm. Moments later, after she said, I don't want this, please, God's look raced down the pulse. Excuse me. God's love raced down the pulse into her look. It was as if her things spoke back. A table leg scratched the floor. A fork wobbled in a drawer. Knickknacks fell. She nearly died each time it happened. They said her mind just wasn't there, or she wasn't in it anymore. She sat helpless afterward, papery when they lifted her from vision seat to bed. The might to move what her eye fell upon is the image of her eye keep, her iridescent readiness. And this last one is uh, one of quite a few when you make a selected poems, or then much later make a collected poems, you realize what, how obsessed you are with certain subjects, even if at the time you're doing it, you're not aware, you know, because you're in the grip of, an, of the obsession. So it cannot have a history or a future. It's just what it is now. And uh, uh, I really like clubs, music clubs, and above all, jazz clubs. Um, and uh, and uh, we have a couple in the Bay Area, and one of them is in Oakland. It's called Yoshi's. And Yoshi's is one of the great old uh, jazz clubs. And I, I was lucky enough one night uh, a few years ago to hear one of the great vibraphonists perform. His name is Bobby Hutcherson. And uh, he was standing in that night with, uh, with this cat. Uh, he's an alto uh, sax player named Kenny Garrett. And... Uh, uh, and Bobby is, he looks like an old time jazz cat. A beautiful black suit, you know, with a white shirt and a narrow black tie and all the rest. He's a real, he's a real picture, right? And uh, so we're in this club. Right outside the club is an Amtrak stretch. And occasionally you could almost hear the trains going by. The title of this is, uh, Johnny One Note, Bobby Hutcherson in Oakland. 
you know, the mystery of improvisation in jazz is one of the, it's a compelling thing. Um, Johnny One Note. The mallet strikes, but something's off. And so he hits again, curling that lower lip, purses his brow, as if this sign, this minor woe, were speech the vibes might understand. So when he lifts bluish lids, as if wakened to the desired tone that rings now, it seems, it sounds under wraps, a waterly quaver through the club crowd's silence as it floats above us like an aerosol trying to find a new way to escape passes through the walls mortared pores to reverb in the cool night air of an unpeopled sidewalk droning toward the tracks where a passing peopled train sucks up and winds his finally found wowed tone around its wheels, held there by steel heat 100 miles until it reaches the sea where wheels and whistle overreach. Surging surf, the good vibration feels such desire for and leaves its tedium of the round and round, lofting to a sea that comes and goes but finally simply goes as one night, this night, the cool vibes air struck finally in the changed groove of sax and ecstatic kit is free, finally free to go where we won't hear from it again. Thank you. <laughs>